Hey there, welcome back to the Path to Zion podcast where we are rediscovering the ancient way. Thank you for tuning back in again with us today. We are in a series. I'm going to get right back to it. We are talking about examining abortion, um, the greater overlooked issue. And I don't claim to be a professional towards this matter. I have not worked at, you know, uh, abortion clinics or I've not picketed them. Um, I've not housed mothers who are in need of help towards the matter. Um, I shared in part one the the connection that I do have on any level at all. Um, But what I do have is a curiosity to examine things according to the Word of God and according to what the Spirit's saying and and step back and, and plead before the Father to please show me His perspective towards these matters and these things that come onto the radar of our lives, um, and and respond accordingly, according to discernment and patience and a vantage point that is not simply the one that's delivered to me um, from, from other outside sources. And so we're examining abortion, the greater overlooked issue. In part one, we just laid a groundwork I shared, in case for some reason you're just jumping in now, I shared how um, the father just kept bringing to my mind Ezekiel chapter 12. I didn't know what it said, but just literally Ezekiel 12, Ezekiel 12, four times, um, two days ago, three now. And I looked into that, and as I shared, that that um, Yahweh gives this word to the prophet that, that he is in the midst of a rebellious house, this Merah or Marie. And it is a grumbling, bitter, disobedient, quarreling house, and... He tells him to pack his bags and, and to sojourn out. And judgment comes. And, you know, that's no new theme um, with Bible texts. <laughs> um, but as I pointed out, the whole point was to bring them back to an understanding that Yahweh alone was their Elohim and that he was who he said he was. And the only way they would ever find any peace and purpose would be to humble themselves before him via judgment, in this case, to return to return, as we're always saying, to shuv reality, to return. That is repentance, as we as we make a redundant point here. And so we talked a little bit about the pro-abortion side and and just the angst and the anger and the 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 how can you do this to us um, thinking that just is really so strange to me and it's glorified and it's it's uh, politicized to just be uh, almost like cool culture. Um, that abortion has become a kind of like a cultural icon of of uh, a trend almost I'm finding of just you know you're just free to do what you want man and don't let anybody keep you down um, and man that that permeates both sides of the table if you will <laughs> throughout all of culture um, that has infiltrated the body of Messiah as well sadly but I want to, as as I ended part one, I said I wanted to shine a little bit of light towards uh, the the origin, if you will, of the abortion issue. And when did this come on the scene? And as I shared, I believe it was 10, 11 years ago, I spent a big chunk of time studying out some things um, that led me to something years later that wasn't quite so long ago about finding out, okay, I asked myself, why... Is abortion um, and the issue that it is? Why does it look like this? Um, why does why does it why does it instigate 
the the fruit that we see. Um, and when when did it become an issue? You know, and I'm a question asker. And so years ago, I did this study, um, and just quickly, it led me into. A, a, it went it went straight. The stream flowed right into politics. I mean, just it went there in no time. And so I just again, you may know this, and if you do, that's fine. I'm not. This isn't like I have this big secret that nobody on the earth but me knows, and I've unearthed it. This is this is easy to find. This is history. Uh, but many people, as I alluded to in part one as well, many Christian evangelicals have no idea why they're so fired up about the abortion issue. They don't know. They're clueless as to why this is such a raging inferno of concern. Now, they have been duped to believe that, well, because God hates abortion. He wants babies to live. But friends, I'm going to submit that maybe that's not why. Maybe that's not why there's such a fire um, under the seat of the evangelicals towards abortion and the issue, okay? Because there is a greater overlooked issue, friend. <laughs> um, so, okay, so when I was six years old, back in 1979, um, a sect of, of very elite individuals um, in the, the Christian evangelical scene, um, they were trying to figure out, and, and politicians were just arm-in-arm arm with them, and there was this this little plan, if you will, that was just at its very inception. Um, They needed to move some things around in the American political system. And there were some some concerns that I'm not even going to get into. Five minutes of study, um, even online with all the information we can find today, you get to the heart of why this issue became what it was um, before abortion even showed up. But I'm not even going to open that because it's too big. That that alone would take an hour. Men like Jerry Falwell, uh, Tim LaHaye, the author, um, other predominant evangelicals were recruited, and they filled their their roles wonderfully to begin to formulate a plan to, let's just use a word here that hurts, manipulate the what was just then called the Christian populace. Um, this was pre-evangelical even being... Evangelical wasn't a word, really. It was like, what's that? Well, now we sure know. Um, but the main issue that was boxed up and delivered to the American church was abortion. Um, and, and if you do a, a, a thorough and fair study into the moral majority and why they even formed and what they were trying to accomplish, you see real quickly— um, that the entire formation of the moral majority was not to make this nation godly and holy and righteous. It was to get evangelicals, that they dubbed them, um, to the polls, to create voters. Because before that, the, the Christians, even then, man, this is not that long ago. Even then, the Christians just really weren't politically motivated. They weren't they weren't politically fueled and like fired up towards the goings on of the nation like today. Today, boy, it is super glued together. I mean, I'm not even going to go in. I'm going to keep moving. Um, but following the Roe v. Wade case, um, this is interesting. Okay, and and we're gonna there's some there's some things here that should pop up and cause us to ask some questions. Um, so Roe v. Wade happens and. Abortion is is moved into a different 
realm of approach now. It wasn't just, you know, all these different things. There were there were limitations. And and then all of a sudden there's not as many limitations and it's complex. It's not just black and white like there was an abortion and then there was abortion and now 3 days ago now there's not abortion again. No, it's not that cut and dry. It's complicated. And I don't claim to be the one to understand it all, but it's not like, oh, abortion's gone now. It's not that simple, friend. Um, but this is interesting, and I found this years ago, and I brought it back into this uh, series today, uh, the other day. The then-president of the Southern Baptist uh, Convention, this man that was, uh, you know, W.A. Criswell was his name. And he, of course, was like the spokesperson of millions of people at the time. He, re- he released a very odd public statement <laughs> um, for a leader of a denomination that was, is, made up of millions that proclaim to um, promote the sanctity of life as much as they do. And this is what he said, and anybody can search this stuff and find it. This is one of, of a wealth of things that you read, and you're like, hmm, this is strange. He said this, though, right on the heels of Roe v. Wade, okay? I have always felt that it was only after a child was born and had a life separate from its mother that it became an individual person. Wait, what? Who said that? What? The founder of Planned Parenthood said that? No, friend. This was right after Roe v. Wade. The, the, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention and this didn't really stir much of the pot, and nobody really made a big deal about it from everything I've found looking into this. There's another individual, and I'm telling you this because some people watch this program, they take notes, and they say, you know what, I'm going to look into that. I would like to know. I would like to know this. Another gentleman to look into is Paul Wyrick. This guy has, and what, you're, some people are going to check out now, oh boy, we're just naming names and all this and that. Friend, this is for a purpose. Endure alongside me if you would like. He played a major role in the mid-70s. Um, this man has been credit, credited with much of, of, of what the, the evangelical masses were, were given this unction to become political came through this man. Um, he said this when speaking of the new coalition that was being formed through the moral majority movement. The new political philosophy must be defined by us conservatives. Was, you know, conservatives kind of preceded the evangelicals. Same thing, really. But he said this will be defined by conservatives in moral terms, packaged in non-religious language and propagated throughout the country by a new coalition. When political power is achieved, the moral majority will have the opportunity to recreate this great nation. And so, again, this is just a little bit of the individuals who are spearheading this movement that started back in the 70s of, of taking the church and harnessing some Christian beliefs and attaching them to politically motivated issues to, to enact a powerful machine of political power. Okay? And so, again, how would the moral majority get people that often didn't even get involved in politics or the political system at all? to rally to the polls, and to begin to advance the moral elite agenda? How would they do this? They found a topic, friend, that tugged at the heartstrings of the evangelical conservative uh, voter. Abortion. Abortion. Few issues, no one can argue this point, few issues have ever divided people throughout all of history more than this issue. 
It was perfect execution by the moral majority in forming this, this merging of, of the Christian individual with politically fueled and motivated topics. And the abortion issue was a home run, okay? As expected, <laughs> I've already seen um, this overturning the other day attributed to Second Chronicles 7. We alluded to this a little in part one. If my people, which are called by my name, humble themselves, and, and many are saying, mission accomplished. We've done it. We now are on the track. It, okay, so I've seen this word for word. Now, if we can overturn gay marriage, we've done it. We're, we'll be a godly nation. We're halfway there. That's a lot of the verbiage. We're halfway there now. We've gotten rid of abortion. Now... If we can get Trump back in office and get rid of the gay agenda, godly nation, blessings, favor. This doesn't sit, sit well with me at all. <laughs> if my people... Well, okay, let's start there. Let's start there. And to go back to part one again. A nation of people is a nation of people. Okay? Masses of people form a nation. All of us here form this nation in all of our diversities. And so this scripture, if we're going to use this scripture the way that it's been misappropriated, if my people, okay, pause. Oh, okay, pause. My people, who are his people? Who are Yahweh's people? Well, Christians, conservatives. Okay, says who? Who, who says that? What, what is the defining characteristic and qualities of, of Yahweh's people? Jeremiah 30, 22, 31, 30, Ezekiel 11, Ezekiel 14, 11, Ezekiel 37, 23, Revelation 23. Look into some of those, friend, and find out identifiers of who Yahweh's people are. And so I, I want to caution us on how we... How we just grab scriptures, that one's been used more than anything I can think of, um, about how we can make this nation godly again. Um, man, we need to hold these things rightly. And I want to caution people of this emotional roller coaster that seems to be guiding far too many believers towards matters such as these, which goes hand in hand with using these Bible verses. I've seen more Bible verses about how this is how Bible verses are attached to these, these national issues. Um, it's, it's, it's endless. Um, I would submit that it's very possible that we have not known Yahweh and not known him correctly. We've not understood what he, he was saying to us in his word and who he even is. And let me say this. From my perspective... In my present understanding towards who Yahweh is, which again is not perfect. I don't hardly know him at all in the right full sense of his of his fullness. <laughs> but I know I, I believe this is true. That he doesn't show a nation a nation favor when they make good moral decisions and then become angry and wrath wrath filled in judgment when they make bad ones. Okay? And so if we go by the context of the Bible, and again, we'll go back to the title of this, of this series, the greater overlooked issue is the idolatry 
and sin and rebellious houseness, <laughs> to go back to the Ezekiel passage in 12, it's not gone, friend. <laughs> it's not gone. Okay? It's not left the building. The house is still rebellious. We are not now in God's good side. We, 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 I would say that we don't understand him as perfect father. I don't treat my son that way. Well, son, you made a good decision today. I love you a whole lot more. Here's some ice cream. Good job. I see the whole. I look at my son's heart. I look at his innermost places. and Everything he does out here is mere evidence of, of the in, of the within, right? The heart condition. And so we're not trying behavior modification from a national viewpoint. We, are, we have got to see the heart of the Father into a matter which is, which is, we can say, I would like to say, good, okay, excuse me, this is something. But we have to remember that it's not like, okay, God's happy with us now. All these prophecies from these modern-day prophets coming true, blessing, favor, lower gas prices once a good president comes back in and God's happier with us again. You know, you've heard the verbiage. We have a bad president in right now. Bad. And so we're receiving judgment. We're juvenile with our thinking and approaches. I would, I would say is very possible. And so we have to remember that the majority of humanity, the majority of this nation, as we kind of come in, are outside of covenant. Outside of covenant. <laughs> in covenant blessing out-of-covenant cursing. It's not my idea. It is the pattern of my Father. And so thereby, if that is true, if we're talking about national blessing and favor, and we've prayed and humbled ourselves enough now and misappropriated that verse to mean that now we get blessing, if we believe the Word of God and who the Father is, that cannot apply. Because the majority of the nation is still... Lawless, outside of covenant, walking in the ways of the nations, this one, and are thereby entirely unable to receive covenantal blessing and protection from the initiator of the covenant. I know that's hard, but I don't feel like that's just my opinion. If I step outside of covenant and walk as a lawless one, in here, the circumcision of the heart that we talked about in the last series, I too will receive the judgment of the perfect righteous lawgiver. <laughs> it's not that difficult of a stretch, I don't believe. Even the evangelical church has little idea of law and covenant, living, uh, set-apartedness. We, we approach that all the time um, here on the, on the program. Now, let's move into mixing a little bit and to further my point. And, and let's keep here. We keep have to remember, we're talking about examining abortion. Why is it a hot topic issue? Why is it so divisive? Why is it the evangelical uh, spearhead, if you will, the, the leader of the way of, of us versus them? Is there a greater overlooked issue that maybe we're missing because of, again, and rightly so, because of the e evoking of emotion that it causes? Because yes and amen, I want, I want an unborn child to live. Yes, of course. 
My father de- desires that who he formed and fashioned comes to earth to at least be given an opportunity to fulfill his or her purpose. Yes, of course. But there are greater issues and concerns that we must also equally take time and examine. Yes. So uh, let's go to the Newer Testament for a minute. Second Corinthians chapter 6. And let's, let's talk about this in proper context. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Be careful in case you think, oh, I already know this. What fellowship does light have with darkness? What harmony does Messiah have with Belial? Or what part does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement does Yahweh's temple have with idols? For we are the temple of the living Elohim. Just as he said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their Elohim, and they shall be my people, the covenantal people. Therefore, come out from among them. There is a division. Be separate, says Yahweh. Touch no unclean thing. Oh, unclean, clean. Oh, man, dang it. Here we are again. There's clean and unclean in the Newer Testament. Then I will take you in. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. And, and please listen to this. I believe this is very important and, and, and of utmost uh, importance for us to understand. As I stated in recent episodes, the only us and them is simple. Biblically speaking now, biblically, those in covenant, one, those outside of covenant, two, you are in covenant, or you are out. That is the the main overreaching definer of who is and who is not. Okay? There's two categories, two camps, if you will. Period. No LGBT, no evangelical, no atheist, no Baptist, no Roman Catholic. Okay? (laughs) This is such a simplifier for us if we can understand it, really. It would do us all well to get this, I believe, into our thinking as we assess our own lives and the lives of all of those other people around us where we categorize us or them. First and foremost, as I need to say every time we turn this on, we have got to be sure we are a covenantal people. We, ourselves, individually. I've got to, I've got to scrutinize this house before I even look around at the rest of those within the body. We need to be sure we are in covenant, a covenantal people. So let us move these two camps side by side, okay? In covenant, out of covenant, towards this issue of abortion and national issues as a whole, and how Yahweh now has to bless our nation and all that make it up because we made a good decision. You understand what I'm saying? I'm trying to get us to peer deeper into these matters than just our emotion and, and yay, abortion's overturned. Yay. Okay, that's fine. But let's get, let's peer in a little bit further, please. I believe it would do us well. So I'd like to submit that even as divided as we all are in this nation, the nation is mixed and as a whole, not really that different. Okay. I fully realize that most people cannot handle this proposition. They just can't. Um, you say this to an evangelical that you're really not that different than, than the LGBT community. Uh, and then you run. <laughs> are you kidding me? What are you talking about? Vile, heathen, reprobate. Lo- yeah. Well, let's use the Bible as our criteria. 
We need to be open to say, you know what, there are ways in me that are maybe more wicked than that. Abominations. Let's use a big word. But, okay, so, okay, well, all right, Joel, if you're still with me, tell me how, tell me how. Evangelicals go to the same movies, listen to the same music, subscribe to the same TV channels, dress the same, immodest. Body parts hanging out, go to the beach, bikinis. I could go down this road all day long. Everything they are for the privacy of their husband or wife, here we are in the public, right beside the world, looking just the same. Evangelicals send their children to the same school system that's teaching the same curriculum and meanwhile saying they vehemently oppose one another. We're not like them. Both sides, both teams, to use that analogy I used earlier, both teams on the field are saying the exact same message. This is my nation. Black team. White team, this is my nation. To use the team analogy, this is our America. No, this is our America. The language says one thing. But the lifestyle says something else entirely, friend, and the body of Messiah and the world are mixed. Indiscernible in very many ways. As a whole, as a whole, I would say judgment is coming here because of our shared national idolatry, mixing, and rebellion. Men of old understood this. Now, when you read especially the, the accounts of the kings and the godly kings who came in and, and began to eradicate so many things, and even the prophets many times did this, they spoke from a perspective and a seat that said, we, we, okay? They understood that. Many, most people today have no we understanding of a national idolatry, of a national sin, of, of national... Um, uncleanness. It's them. It's compartmentalized. Those bad people that aren't really Americans, they're not like us. They don't understand. This goes back to my intrigue from earlier. I'm intrigued that the average evangelical does not understand this. There's an us and them mentality when it's an intermingling of the whole. Um, and we're not really that different in many ways, sadly. But the men of old understood this. They would cry out to Yahweh, forgive us for our iniquity. Forgive us. Oh, Father, show us mercy in our national rebellion. Ours, not theirs, not the gays and lesbians and abortionists. Ours, our combined sin and rebellion. Our house, <laughs> our rebellious house. They understood that, but we've we've missed that. They would constantly cry out, forgive the sins of the nation, all of us, all of us that make up the whole. I would say we have a covenant problem. And I'll admit, the fathers had me on covenant a lot in the past several months. And so this is front and center for me to make this connection. We don't just have an abortion problem, friend. We have a covenant problem. Not a national law problem, a covenant problem. <laughs> national rebellion was an issue in 1972. 
okay, the year before Roe v. Wade. It is an issue today, and it will remain an issue tomorrow. Praise the Father for a little bit of a respite in the killing of unborn children here specifically right now. Yes, amen. I've tried to make that clear. Because people will just say, man, you're missing the point. You don't even care about the babies who will live now. As I said earlier, I, I care about them, and I care about them now and what life they will have here. And as I put the charge to us, what will we do about them now, now that they are here? But we must not miss the greater picture. Judgment is not somehow stayed now, friends. Again, we misunderstand Father's ways and who He is and, and how He moves and why. Yahweh's not suddenly looking at America with glee. Idolatry rules the rebellious house here. Greed, atrocities, many in the name of Christ even. How many times, I, don't, I never talk about this ever, about the, a child abuse within the organized church. I never talk about that ever. Because I don't even, man, I don't even know what to say about it. It's, it's embarrassing. It's grievous. But man, there, these, these things still permeate this nation. Unrighteous lawlessness will continue to increase. Let's just bring this one to a close. As we are talking about examining abortion, the greater overlooked issue. And please don't think I'm overlooking the good in this overturning. I feel very, I need to make that clear. But what of the accounts of, of the zealous men in the scriptures that I believe are very admirable? Hezekiah, Josiah, when these men would come in. And, and, and so like when Hezekiah, because I so identify with him. He comes in to, to rule and he looks around and he says, all right, Levitical priests, get him back in. Clean up the menorahs. Get the dirt out. Get the Asherah poles out of here. Get out the idolatry. You know, let's just modern day terms. Pressure wash the whole sanctuary. Get a new altar. Clean it up. Polish that laver. We're going to worship Yahweh Elohim again. And so, friend, I guess I feel that way. Yes, amen. Okay, so, so we got an idol out. Okay. Man, there's a million more. And I'm starting here. And I'm looking around here. There's much to overturn. And they wouldn't quit. Hezekiah would not stop, friends. Read that account, man. Those individuals as a nation would not stop. <laughs> they loved Yahweh's ways. And they weren't satisfied until all the idolatry was removed. So if you hate what I'm proposing, then I would say that you may, you may hate what Hezekiah was doing. Calm down, Hezekiah. You should just be content that we got the, the menorah back out. Chill, dude. He said, no, we got to keep going. Let's keep moving. That's good, but let's keep going. There's more. There's more idolatry. There's more rebellion in the house. Um, I'm going to read this again. Uh, this was in the Leave the Corner series that we just did uh, a few days ago. Ezekiel 36, 24. I spoke with a brother on the phone this morning. This is resonating with him. Friends, this is life-changing stuff here. When, when we're postured in humility, and for whatever reason the Spirit breathes life into a matter in us, and like, oh my gosh, 
and something in our innermost place changes and the word of God attaches to us and somehow just morphs into who we are, it literally, I don't even know how to describe it. It changes my entire being, not just changes my mind. It changes the makeup of who I am. This brother that I love so much is having towards this as well, as are many others right now. Ezekiel 36, 24, I, Yahweh, will take you from the nations. I'll take you out of the idolatry and the rebellion. I'm going to gather you out of all the countries and bring you back to your own land, and I will sprinkle clean water on you. You'll be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all of your idols. Moreover, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put a new spirit within you. I will remove the stony heart from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. And again, I know I'm just reading this, but I'm trying to get this so deeply settled and concrete in me. I'm going to keep doing it. We cannot get, this cannot grow old to us, friend. If we ever yawn at this text, we have a real problem. Why is he going to do these things? Why has he put his spirit in us and give us a new heart of flesh? To cause us to walk in his laws. This says, to be clear. Then I will cause you to walk in my laws, so you will keep my rulings and so that you will do them. Then you will live in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you'll be my people, and I'll be your Elohim. Now, friend, this is why we have the new covenant in part. This is biblical evidence spoken through the words of the prophet that if we believe he heard the oracles of Yahweh, then this has got to be right here on the front of our face. We are not in the fullness yet because all of these things have not come in absolute completion yet. But we have what? The Spirit as a what? A down payment towards what is yet to come in fullness. And so now what do we do? We have been given empowered. We've been empowered to walk in his laws, to keep his rulings and do them above every other national endeavor, idea and law. Okay. Why am I saying this now? I hope I'll say this to make sense and so we can close this accordingly. But until this happens, okay, and and why am I saying this specifically? Because the greatest overlooked issue within this matter as a whole is we have not been a covenantal people. We have not been a covenantal nation, and we will not be. We will not be, friend. America will not be a, as a whole, in its entirety, a nation governed by Yahweh's perfect ways and laws and rulings and do them. We will not. Why? Because we are waiting like the Hebrews 11 saints that I keep talking about. We are sojourners in a land through leaving out of a rebellious house and sojourning out, waiting for a New Jerusalem, New Jerusalem reality where where the perfect law of, El- law of Elohim will govern and rule and reign. And it cannot be here yet. Yet. Do we try to bring it down in part? Yes, through our individual yielding and, and ridding our own self, our own house of idolatry. Yes, every day. That's what dying to sin is. That's what carrying our cross is. It's a constant revelation of the idolatry and rebellion in this house. But until we enter the fullness of the new covenant, friend, 
all other endeavors are merely moral-based ideals within the governments of mere men. I say all the time we cannot cram Yahweh's Torah into national law. That's not what happened in 1776, friend. Man, this is where I lose most everybody. My charge is to be alert to the bait of evangelical nationalism. It is so dangerous. And abortion is now and has always been its banner. Since and not long now, again, I'm, I'm fixing to be 50 next year. This is very young. There's a greater overlooked issue than the abortion issue, friend. We need spiritual eyes to see our ongoing national idolatry and rebellion. So what do we do? Let's stay in the dirt and humble ourselves as we endeavor to continue to remove the idols from our own hearts and submit to Father's new covenant ways. So what is the overlooked issue? The hearts of men. And this is applicable to the gun issue, the abortion issue, like morality, you know, all these things that we could name. A long list of. Those aren't those are just periphery things. Periphery things. The fruit, the bad fruit on the tree of what? Being outside of covenant. The hearts of men must come to the forefront. We all need a heart exchange. And without this, all else is merely behavior modification and will not last. This isn't going to last, friend. I'm sorry. This is politically motivated. This is to advance an agenda of brother-hating brother, constant contention, and just a, a, a stirring of the pot to get all this hatred going again in just a different little, little stream over here, friend. That's all this is. So be alert to that, friend, please. So we must enter covenant via Messiah, enabling us through the power of Holy Spirit to walk out our Father's commands as we just read in the Word of God. Then the fruit of our lives will be righteousness. This is what I can control. This is what I can control and rule over. This is what I can humbly submit to my Father. Not them out there, them, those. I cannot control that, and I'm not meant to. I don't... I have no business doing that. I've got enough issue right here. This is why we are sojourners together out into a new Jerusalem Zion that alone, alone will be capable of fully containing Yahweh's perfect government, governmental order and covenantal commands. So right now, friend, we're journeying out. And that's why I go back, and I'd like to say this is why Holy Spirit kept saying Ezekiel 12, Ezekiel 12, Ezekiel 12. This is a rebellious house. Pack your bags. Pack your bags, son. Go. Go. And it says to pack your bags in front of them so they see what you're doing, and maybe they'll ask why. That's my desire. I want to be... As hard as it is and how costly it is and how relationships just come and go, I want to be a sojourner. I want to be a traveler here. I want to long, I long for New Jerusalem. And some days I can see it. Some days I can look and I'm like, okay, Father, I can see it. I can smell it. I can see your perfect 
light that will be you illuminating it in its entirety. No need for a sun because you are enough. I can't even imagine Father's perfect governmental authority and his Torah going out from Zion. Not to make all the unholy, unrighteous people get right, but for me to set me free in fullness. So friend, as you today examine this abortion issue, I challenge you to see the greater overlooked issue, which is the hearts of men. And we are a rebellious house here. It's time to understand that we've got to sojourn out and be a set-apart, consecrated people, keeping Yahweh's set-apart, consecrated commands and celebrating His set-apart, consecrated Moedim, His appointed times, His feasts, His Sabbath. It's part of the mark, friend. It's part of the mark. <laughs> oh, here we are. Oh, let's start part, part three. No, we'll end here. Thank you for watching. If you made it this far, amen. I don't know much. I just want to hear what the Father's saying. And I hope you're doing the same. That's our best hope, is to lean in, to hear His voice, and to know what is really happening in this hour, um, in our world here. So thank you for watching. This is the Path to Zion Podcast. Send us an email, pathtozionpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your vantage point. Not Don't just email me if you agree with everything I'm saying. Send me an email and let me know your differing vantage point. That's fine. I, I love the dialogue. Let's do it in, in self-control and patience and kindness, preferring one another and helping all of us to move along this journey as we look into what? Zion and the perfect restoration of all things. Thank you for watching. Amen.